Our Bible reading today is from Psalm 35. Psalm 35, starting from verse 1. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armour, arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them, May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly, and the throngs, among the throngs, I will praise you. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and say, aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Awake and rise to my defence. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them think, aha, just what we wanted, or say, we have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's great that we get to 
uh, take a little detour from John's Gospel and spend some time in this psalm together today. As we begin, I want to ask, what do you do when you feel you aren't being treated fairly? When you don't receive the recognition that you deserve? When your good work isn't rewarded? When your love gets, goes unnoticed? Now, what do you do when there's a gap between how you expect to be treated and how you are being treated, whether that's by God or by others? What do you do? Now, I was at a cafe during the week and it was morning tea. And so there's a few people around. There might have been three or four people in line waiting at the counter to order. And a couple came in. Uh, the woman sat down while the man joined the end of the line. And straight away, the man started speaking across the room about how unimpressed he was. Uh, we never have to wait like this at the other cafe, he said. Well, it's a bit awkward for everyone. And then within a minute, no time at all, this man's patience ran out. He walked back to where the woman was sitting. He knocked over a chair and he said to her, that's it, we're going back to the other cafe. And he stormed out obviously disgusted at the way he'd been treated. Now, in Psalm 35, we hear this prayerful song of David. And this, this prayerful song, it's, it's a response to mistreatment. And David shares with God that things are not how they should be. All is not right in David's world. And so he calls on God to act, to set things right. Now, David's not quite at the chair-flipping stage, but he's not subtle about it either. Uh, maybe as you've come here today and you've heard the reading from Psalm 35, maybe your expectations haven't been met. Uh, we were just getting up to the climax of John's Gospel, and yet here we are in Psalm 35. What's going on? Uh, well, we're not here by accident, you'll be happy to know, um, because in John's Gospel last week, Jesus shared with his disciples that if they remained in him, they could expect to be hated by the world, just like Jesus. They could expect to be mistreated by those who don't know that Jesus is God's son. They could expect to be opposed and oppressed by those who don't want to see Jesus as the fulfillment of God's salvation plan. And within our passage last week, we heard Jesus identify for his disciples just how unfair and unjust this opposition would be. And he did it by quoting from Psalm 35. Uh, echoing David's words, Jesus says, they hated me without reason. And so today we're going to see the source of this quote. Uh, and in it, in this psalm, we'll see how God's people can rely on God's righteousness by praying prayers like David does here. In Psalm 35, can rely on God in the midst of mistreatment. Now, we're going to start by looking at how uh, David's requests show that he's relying on God. And then we're going to uh, secondly look at how uh, at David's reasons, uh, how they show that he's relying on God to set things right. And so firstly, David's requests uh, David's requests show that he's relying on God and particularly relying on God's character as the one who sets things right. And uh, we see this uh, in, the in the battery of requests that begin the psalm in verse 1. 
This is how the psalm begins. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armour. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. So from the start, David takes us to a picture of the battlefield, a battlefield where David calls on the Lord to gear up, get ready, and join my campaign. Now for David, the conquering king of Israel, this wouldn't have been unfamiliar territory, the battlefield. There's a lot of, a lot of battlefield action in his life, even from early on with Goliath. Um, but what might feel a bit different, a little bit off maybe, about this request is that David's not just ordering around another soldier in his army. No, David's ordering around the Lord God. He's calling on the Lord to take up arms for him, uh, to actively save and help and rescue David from his opponents. He's calling on God to bring about this rescue by seeing his enemies being put to shame uh, being blown away, being pursued by the angel of the Lord. That's what David's calling on God to do as part of his army. Now, if someone started to pray like this in church or in growth group, I wonder how comfortable we would be with that. I wonder how confidently, how loudly we would say amen to this sort of prayer. Because it sounds a bit full on, maybe even a bit arrogant to pray this way. As I think about my prayers, they're much more timid. I ask God often for, for help, uh, for me or for others. I ask God to enable certain things to happen. I ask God to give certain things uh, to me, to others, things like wisdom and understanding. Maybe your prayers are similar. But I don't remember ever telling God to join my army, to gear up in my fight. So why does David pray this sort of thing? Well, it's important for us, to for us to consider where this request, this series of requests comes from. Uh, these pleas for, for help come from a place of dependence and trust. Uh, they're not just a shot in the dark. David has a problem and so he just tries all the options. No, no, no. David here is praying based on his knowledge of God. This is a prayer of understanding. This is a prayer based on relationship. And the basis of, of David or any of us asking God for things in prayer is that we know God. That's the basis of prayer. And in his kindness to David and Israel in their history and his kindness to us, God has made known who he is and what he's like. And so here in this prayer at this time, David is relying on the, on what God has made known to him, specifically what God has made known to him about his righteousness and his justice. So David knows that the Lord God is righteous. He does what is right. Uh, he knows that God loves justice, that God does what is right and just, and he makes things right as he brings justice. In the psalm just before this one, in Psalm 34, verse 15, David wrote, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. 
but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. And then back in this psalm, in Psalm 35, David prays in line with these truths that he knows about God. When David doesn't see God's righteous rule, when he doesn't see justice in his situation, that leads him to pray. And so he prays these bold requests to God, calling on God to set things right, to rescue him, to turn against his opponents so that righteousness and justice will be restored, so that God's reputation as righteous and just will be preserved. Now, while aspects of these requests in Psalm 35, they might still feel uncomfortable. And David is dealing here with a tension that, that we go through as well as we go through life, as we pray. And you see, what we know what God is like and we know what God, is, what God wants because he's told us, because he's shown us in his word. But at times our experience appears to call these things into question. In David's case, if God is righteous and just, if God really does bring righteousness and justice as part of his rule, then why am I being treated unjustly? How can a just God do nothing about my unjust suffering? Now, this psalm doesn't resolve that tension. But David still relies on God to make things right. He looks forward with confidence to God making things right. And David's requests later in the psalm show his knowledge of God in, in another area, that God is the one who sees and who knows, as well as the God who is righteous and just. Now, this idea of, of seeing comes up at, at a few points in the psalm. Uh, in verses 7 and 8, David's opponents are the ones trying to keep things unseen. Uh, they've hidden nets. They've dug pits. They're concealing things so that David won't see them, so that he'll fall into their trap. Uh, in verse 19, David's opponents, they maliciously wink the eye, um, obscuring things, obscuring their true intentions against David. And then in verse 21, David's opponents, they concoct stories about what they've seen as part of false accusations. They sneer at David and say, aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it but they haven't. They're just making stuff up. And this is what leads David to seek justice against them from the God who sees. So in the very next verse, verse 22, David cries out and says, Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. And so in these requests, the picture is a bit more like a law court. But David's requests here at the end of the psalm are, are the same as those at the start. Here again, David relies on God, calling him to act as a witness, as a good witness a witness who has seen things and so will speak and defend and vindicate in line with his character. David prays to God confidently knowing that 
He's the only one who sees. He's the, God is the only one who sees David's situation clearly, despite the best efforts of his opponents to conceal. And God is the only one who sees every situation clearly. And God is the only one who sees every person clearly, even in our hearts and minds and motives. And so if there's any hope for true justice for David or for anyone, then it must ultimately come from God who sees all. Now, even though David is praying things here that we might not, even though it appears to be arrogant, I just want to share with you that there's actually something humble happening here as well. Because even in David's requests, as bold as they are, David is submitting his judgment to God's. Even though David has seen things happening and experienced things, he puts all of that under God. That's the nature of his prayer. He lets God be the one to act in this situation. He trusts and relies on the God who sees and who knows, who is righteous and who brings justice. Like David, our knowledge of who God is and what he's done is meant to be seen in our prayers. It is seen in our prayers. Now, there's a sense that all our prayer requests are an expression of our reliance on God, our relying on him. And David shows us here that the confidence and content of our requests reveals the God that we're relying on. Now, one of the times that our view of God is particularly seen is our requests when things aren't right when things aren't as they should be. When I'm facing a time of difficulty, that's when you'll learn most about my knowledge of God and what I think of him, what I know about him. But it's also difficult uh, in hard times to, to turn things around, to change our prayers at that point. So it's actually before things get difficult that, that I need to be attentive to God's word that I need to start including and reflecting the things I know about God back to him in my prayers, having my knowledge of God shape the things that I ask for, the way that I thank God, the way I talk to God. And that way, uh, by, by letting God's character influence my prayers now, before things are difficult, uh, that's going to help me when difficult times come. My prayers are going to continue in that pattern, reflecting God's character. I'll still have things beyond my circumstances to, to pray about and to, to recognize and to thank God for if I've been listening to his word before those difficulties come. Now, David's requests show us that when we know God, when we know him as he's made himself known, then we too can confidently call on him to act. Even if we don't go as far as David does here, our knowledge of God leads us to be confident in our prayer requests, maybe more confident than we are now. And because God has made himself known, we can courageously ask him to do things. We can courageously ask God to change our circumstances so that they will reflect his unchanging character. That's what David's requests show us. Now, second, uh, we see David relying on God to make things right as we hear the reasons 
for his requests. Now, throughout the psalm, David makes a consistent claim that he is an innocent sufferer, that he's facing unjust opposition. He's facing mistreatment from a particular group of people. We don't know who they are. Um, In verse 7, he says that they have hid their net for him and dug a pit for him. Why did they do it? Was it because of something that David did or said? Well, no, David says this is without cause. Uh, Again, in verse 19, David repeats this description, saying that his enemies, uh, they are his enemies and they hate him. Why? Why are they his enemies? Why do they hate him? David says it's without cause. And David says that his opponents hated him without reason. Now, I wonder whether our cynical alarms are going off at this point. Without reason, really, someone would dig a pit for you. Someone would set you up like this. They would oppose you in this way for no reason, without cause. Now, in our society right now, people who claim to be victims are everywhere. And claims of injustice and oppression and discrimination, they're really common. And this phenomenon, this cultural phenomenon, has created some strange byproducts. Uh, Sometimes it appears to be an advantage to be a victim. It's better being seen as helpless. It's preferable preferable to be seen as stuck in a situation that, that you have had no say in. Haven't chosen this in any way, you're just stuck in it. And that makes things really confusing and counterproductive because if everyone is a victim, if everyone is facing injustice and oppression and discrimination, then no one is. And this is then helpfully, unhelpfully undermines and obscures the people who really are victims, are people who are experiencing the worst kinds of injustice and oppression and discrimination. We won't notice them. So as we come to hear David making these claims, and we don't want to let our cultural cynicism change how we approach that, how we hear David in his situation. It's important for us to notice that David doesn't just lead us with, leave us with an attention-grabbing headline. No, David draws us into the picture and gives us reasons. He shows us there, that there is some substance to his unjust suffering. Throughout the psalm, and especially in verses 11 to 16, we can see how personal this mistreatment has been. When David invites God to the battlefield, he isn't asking God's, a God to intervene against an invading army. He isn't asking for support against the enemies of Israel like we might expect. Instead, we see that this conflict is much closer to home. The people opposing David are people that he's been in close relationship with, people he's loved like the closest of friends, like family. In verse 13 and 14, David talks about how he's treated them. When these people were going through illness, he pulled out all the stops to support them. He did everything he could before God to see their suffering and sickness cease. Praying for them, fasting. And when God didn't answer his prayer, when the sickness continued, when it led to death, David's love for them, even then, didn't let up. David didn't move on. He mourned for them and with them. He mourned for them like they were his friend. But even more than that, 
He mourned like they were his brother. But, but more than that, he mourned like they were his mother. Can you imagine those lengths of love, that depth of relationship, a relationship so significant to you that you'd go beyond social convention to see this person's sickness cease? A love so profound that you would mourn for them like you would mourn the loss of your own mother. Now, in treating them this way, David has raised the bar really high for, for the love that he's shown them. Uh, it's hard to say what an appropriate response would be to this great a love for these people. Um, it's like when you see someone walking around on Valentine's Day. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, but, yeah, someone will have a ludicrous bouquet of flowers, huge. How do you respond to that when someone gives you a giant bouquet of flowers? Uh, well, my personal favourite uh, Valentine's Day gift, though, is seeing someone trying to catch a bus with one of those larger-than-life teddy bears that don't even fit through the door, that take up more than a seat. Again, how do you... How do you respond to that? Someone gives you a giant teddy bear. What do you do? How do you reciprocate? I don't know. But in response to David's love for these people, we don't see anything resembling love at all. Instead, this is the rundown we get of their treatment of David. In verses 3 and 4 and 7, his former friends seek his physical misfortune. They pursue him to kill him. In verses 15 and 16, they verbally abuse David, setting him up for failure so they can slander and maliciously mock him. Then in verse 19 to 21, they actively seek a cooked up conviction against him. And David summarizes their treatment of him in verse 12. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. After David has shown such great love, treating these people like family, pulling out all the stops to support them, loving them to the last, this is how they repay him, evil for good. After, after David has mourned for them, mourned with them, it's not the funeral but their treatment that leaves David grief-stricken. Can you imagine what that would feel like? having the closest of friends betray you, turn against you, having the good that you've done for someone repaid like this. It's not right. It's unjust. We're meant to be upset by it, angry about it. There's no room for apathy as we read about David's suffering in this psalm. But what would you do about it? What would you do about it if you're on the receiving end of this treatment, if you were in David's sandals at this point? The biggest surprise after reading David's reasons is that he doesn't take matters into his own hands. He prays. He sings this prayerful song. He makes his requests of God. He shares his reasons with God. He looks towards his vindication and their humiliation. And in praying, he doesn't personally bring about retribution on his opponents. The psalm tells us very clearly that David calls on God to do it because David is depending on God to bring justice. 
He relies on God to set things right. Now, David's relying on the justice of God isn't just something that we see here in this psalm. It's confirmed in another episode of David's life recorded in 1 Samuel 24. Uh, There we find David speaking to King Saul, his great long-running opponent. And David says this to Saul, I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? David, who wrote this psalm, who was hated for no reason, who was repaid evil for good, he lets the Lord judge and avenge and decide. He relies on God to set things right. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, David's claim to be hated without reasons picked up by Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 25, Jesus taught his 11 remaining disciples that he's the one fulfilling this. Uh, While David introduced the idea, Jesus is the one that this is pointing to, the one being hated without reason. And Jesus exemplifies and expands everything that David has shared with us about his experience of unjust treatment. Jesus shows greater love. He endures greater suffering. Jesus does more good and is repaid with more evil. But Jesus also has something else in common with David. When Jesus faced unjust suffering, when he was repaid evil for good, when he was hated without reason, when the stakes were so much higher, when the temptation was so much greater, what did Jesus do? He also depended on God, his Father, for justice. He depended on God, his Father, to set things right. As we saw last week, there is no doubt from Jesus' teaching that if we remain faithful to him, we will face opposition. We might face personal attacks. We might be misunderstood or misrepresented. We might lose opportunities, might lose our reputation or our jobs for what we believe, for our faithful following of Jesus. But in this psalm and in its fulfillment in Jesus, we have a clear picture of what relying on God through unjust suffering looks like. And it's all about what Christ, the fulfiller of this psalm, has done for us. Um, Jesus' disciple Peter puts our, our response this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. He writes, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is what relying on God through unjust suffering looks like. Because of Christ, we're to do good despite suffering, loving our enemies, 
praying for those who persecute us. That's only possible because of what Jesus has done. And because of Christ, we're to entrust ourselves to our heavenly Father, the one who's made himself known, who sees and knows, who brings justice, who is righteous. God is the one who we can pray to confidently in the knowledge that he judges justly. Now, this isn't easy. None of this is easy. But we don't do it alone either. As we face unjust suffering, Christ has gone before us. And he's given us his spirit to help us remain in him through whatever opposition we face. And he's given us each other to support and pray and encourage each other, to press on, to remain faithful. What a gift that is. And because of Christ, the joyful anticipation of God's justice is that much closer. Like many Psalms, Psalm 35 is written in the thick of a crisis. David has shared his requests with God. He's given his reasons to God. He's done these things because he's relying on God to set things right. And while this psalm finishes with David still in the midst of suffering, there's a few points during the psalm where David raises his eyes, where he looks forward to the day when God's righteousness will be fully seen. And David looks forward to the day. And as he does, he switches from prayer to praise. In verse 10, he says, My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Then in verse 18, David's song expands to include all God's people. I will give you thanks in the great assembly, he says. Among the throngs, I will praise you. And in verse 27, he says, May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, The Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. What David looked forward to singing when God's righteousness was revealed, we can sing now. Though we still suffer, our future is secure in Christ. Though we still struggle with sin and with sinners, we've been given salvation in Christ. And though we wait for vindication, we look back to the vindication of Christ. In his resurrection. While David waits for these things, for the day of justice, of God's righteousness, we've tasted these things already. We have seen their fulfillment. And so we can sing now while we suffer in a way that even David didn't, couldn't. We can rejoice in God's righteousness right now, and we can rejoice as we rely on God, the one who sees and who knows and who brings justice. Because in Christ, we have known and have seen the God who sets things right. And before we sing, let me lead us in prayer. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and power, your patience and love your mercy and justice shown to us in so many ways, but especially through the sending and sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Because of him and through the work of your spirit, 
enable us to do good, to love deeply, to endure suffering, to prayerfully entrust ourselves to you, relying on you to make things right. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.